Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 17 of the Basketball Card Podcast. That's right. We're back after a uh, seven, uh, after a three-week hiatus for episode number 17. Uh, I apologize for going away for so long. Week, uh, My work got crazy there for a little while. Um, I'm I'm an accountant, and every once in a while things just get nuts, and I've got uh, family at home and a house to take care of, and things get busy sometimes, but I have to say it's been awesome getting some messages uh, from, from those of you who listen to the podcast fairly regularly, saying, hey, where are you? Are you coming back? Is this is this thing done? Um, I thought I did pretty good for 16 weeks, not, make, not missing a single week, so uh, I think think that we're back for good. I, I don't see any reason I should m- miss any more weeks from now on, but we'll have to knock on wood with that because you never know. Um, but yeah, seriously, thank you for uh, for keeping up. A few of you have asked how the podcast is doing in terms of like uh, how many people are listening and that sort of thing. It's definitely super small. I didn't ever intend to for it to be huge, right? Our sports card community isn't huge. But uh, as I always say, make sure to tell uh, any of your basketball card junkie friends uh, about the podcast if you enjoy it. And if you enjoy it, um, make sure you leave it good reviews. Um, (laughs) Some of the reviews haven't been great. um, But some of them, the ones uh, where people have actually reached out to me have been really awesome. So I think a lot of people um, kind of go to the sports section of of podcasting and they find a podcast that's just about basketball cards and after they click on it they go oh this isn't what i wanted but um the average podcast has or our my my average episode has had between 80 and 90 listens um and i think that's pretty great uh, it takes it's it's not like clicking on a thread on blowout it's not something that you just do you know every time you do it it's it's another it's another click um, there's to, to click on a podcast and listen to it. It's very intentional and, and to have that many people, that many of you who are actually listening, I think is really awesome. So thank you. And like I said, I hope, like I said, at the beginning of start, when I started this, I think our hobby is really cool and it's really cool for a number of reasons. And I think it would be a lot more popular if people knew about it. I don't want it to just be more popular for super high-end basketball card guys. I don't want it to just be popular, more popular for the newer guys. I want, I want everything, every part of the hobby to, to increase. I want people to start on the low end and people to go to the high end and team collectors and set collectors. I want it to go back to how it used to be. Um, and I think it's cool. I think it's so cool that it should but I think a lot of people don't know about it, and a lot of people think that what we were doing back in the late 80s and early 90s is still what we're doing, and they don't know about game-used memorabilia and autographs and packs, and you know they don't know about things like Eminence and Flawless and um, Exquisite and the huge sort of money items that are out there. And they don't know what the hobby can do for you. Um, I've shared with many of you that the hobby has been... Uh, basically a part-time business for me it's paid for a lot of my education and my LDS mission and part of the down payment on my house and and a lot of other things and that's because it's a really cool hobby where you can buy and sell and if you do it well you can make money Um, 
it's such a cool hobby and I think that it needs to grow. And so that's why we do this. We want it to grow. So like I said, tell a friend if, if you're interested, but like I said, also 80 to 90 episodes or listens an episode, I think for a new podcast, like this is actually really cool. And I think it speaks to the, um, how, how excited the people in our hobby are and I think it speaks to you guys for, for, for listening each week. And like I said, those of you who reached out while I was gone for those three weeks, it kind of let me know that, that s- several of you have kind of made it part of your week. And that's really cool. So thank you for, for reaching out. Um, I want to start uh, this episode with um, really the most important stuff, which is, um, you know, here I, I take off for three weeks and it's the three weeks that National Treasures comes out. And the best basketball of the year happens. So obviously it wasn't the ideal time to step away. But like I said, I didn't have a whole lot of choice in the matter. Um, I'll tell you, the Oklahoma City Thunder surprised all of us, right? Surprised even the Oklahoma City fans and the Oklahoma City faithful. No one could have anticipated that that team would have performed the way that they did. And... I just find it really insulting that at this point, after they were such a surprise and did so well, that people are talking about how Kevin Durant is such a choker and that he it's his fault that the team didn't move on and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, guys, they wouldn't have gotten anywhere near there. You think they had a chance against the Spurs without Kevin Durant? The Thunder way overachieved based on who we thought they were going into the playoffs. They had a great playoff. Nobody would have bet on them over the Spurs. Any rational person would have bet on the Spurs. And somehow they pulled out that series. And then they go against Golden State, and yes, I know they were up 3-1. And yes, I know a lot of times they were the better team, but I think Durant's analysis when all said and done is exactly right. The Warriors hit threes. And there were times where... The beginning of the third quarter of last night's game, Game 7, is the one that really comes to mind. Um, the They went into the went into the third quarter up by six, the Thunder did, and Golden State come at, came out on fire. Oklahoma City, I think, didn't score on one or two of their first six possessions, but scored on the rest of them. But at the end of those six possessions... The game was tied because Golden State just kept draining threes. Clay had a couple. Steph had one. Draymond, I think, or Iguodala had one, and, I, and Draymond might have had one as well. And at some point, you just look around and you say, well, I guess three's more than two, and if they're going to keep hitting three-pointers, we're probably going to lose. And Golden and the Thunder couldn't weren't hitting their threes. Durant wasn't getting good open looks um, from three. And nobody else on that team was really a great three-point shooter. Ibaka hit a couple. Westbrook hit a couple. Um, but that's not a great shooting team. It is one of the um, longest and most athletic uh, teams in the league. And they uh, exploited a lot of weaknesses in the Warriors. And if I was a Thunder fan, which I am, I'm the, the, the Thunder are my number two team, I'd be super proud of them. I am super proud. I think they did I think they, they did a great job, the Thunder did. I think uh, they... they uh, played about as good a series as they could um, but when it came to the end of games and the second half I just didn't I don't think they had the energy to continue to um, to do the things athletically that they did early in the game I think Durant played great 
40, I think 44% for the playoffs is certainly not his best number ever. I think it's his worst number ever. But for most guys, that's actually a pretty decent rate for uh, playoff field goal percentage. Um, it's just, man, they, they keyed on him and they made his life really hard. And Golden State's one of the best five defenses in the team or in the league for a reason. And uh, yeah, hats off to Golden State, though. Crisis averted for you Steph Curry collectors out there because that was the worst case scenario. You don't want to be known as the team that wins 73 games and then loses in the conference finals. And so, um, you know, I looked around at some of the people who were online who I know have a lot of Steph Curry cards and they were very vocal. Uh, some of them were very vocal on blowout about how if the Warriors were, were going to lose, it wouldn't really affect the values. And, you know, they were just sweating bullets because that sort of thing does affect the value. As I've been talking about for months now, the value in the Steph Curry cards has already is already incorporating the 73 wins and it's already a foregone conclusion that they're going to go win the championship you um put a chink in that armor and uh say and 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 or a better way to say it would be um you know you 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 take their um their accolades and and you lessen them and uh that is going to affect the value of, of the cards of the team. And it would have. It would have dropped them drastically. And now I think people are nervous because clearly the team's not um, perfect. Clearly they're beatable. And, and you know, this series against Cleveland isn't a foregone conclusion either. I think the, the Warriors will probably beat Cleveland. But I don't think we really know. I, Cleveland hasn't played anyone in the playoffs. And I'm sorry for that for you Eastern Conference fans out there, but they really they haven't. It's kind of like the comparison that I that I would give is um, Boise State. Boise State plays in a small college football conference, and in 2000 I think eight they played Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl in one of the BC, BCS bowl games, and. Um, no one knew who how good Boise State was, and Boise State pulled off the win against Oklahoma. Um, the point was, though, that we had no idea how good Boise was because all the teams they played were garbage, and the Cavs have played a bunch of garbage teams in the playoffs. The Raptors are a quality basketball team, but they shouldn't be in the conference finals. A DeMar Rosen, Kyle Lowry, Bismack Biombo, Jonas Valanciunas team isn't a conference title sort of team. Um, isn't a team that should should make it that far. I would have taken Portland against the Raptors in a head-to-head -head matchup, and that's who Golden State had to play in the second round, right? Um, Golden State had to play the Rockets in the in in the first round, and and, uh, and the Jazz were the the number nine team. I'm not sure if a health a healthy Jazz team versus a healthy Rockets team. I think that's a I think that's a tough matchup. I don't know who would win that. I don't know if the Raptors would be the Rock, beat the Rockets or the Mavs or anybody else who's at the bottom of the West. So, um, and then you want to talk about the tops of the conference, San Antonio and Oklahoma City as the number two and three compared to Toronto and whoever number three was at this point. I think it was Atlanta or I don't know. One just it's not even close. So Cleveland. My point is Cleveland hasn't been tested. They're the Boise State in the analogy. And I don't know how good they are. They might be good. They might be able to pull out four four out of seven games. But unlike college football, it's not a one-game affair. So I don't really know. 
Um, we'll have to see how that goes. I would not be surprised to see Golden State wipe the floor with Cleveland, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised to see Cleveland stick in it. So take that for what it's worth. Um, real quick hit on National Treasures. Just be honest and tell you, it didn't do it for me this year. I don't like, I, I mentioned on the previous podcast, I didn't like that they went away from the horizontal on the number to tens. Um, I did like that they did the hollow foil on the number 10s. I thought that was a nice touch. But the different poses on the card, um, the different variations, it was all kind of confusing to me. And for, for Panini's flagship product, it just didn't do it for me. I haven't bought a single National Treasures card. I am interested in still the, the key jersey-numbered rookie cards, um, namely Trey Lyles, 41 of 99 as a jazz fan. I would love to add that. Um but I've um, had a couple chances at pretty well-priced Carl Anthony Towns to ten um, and to twenty-five, and I said no. I just I don't I don't like I don't love the product. I I have this sneaking suspicion that this is the year that National Treasures isn't the best true rookie card, um, just because I think the quality of it this year wasn't super high. There's a lot of chipping, a lot of imperfect stuff about the cards. But having said that, I would have guessed the same thing last year about Immaculate. That last year Immaculate was going to be one-upped by something by something else um, because the acetates last year were fairly poorly done uh, in comparison to prior years. In comparison to prior years, years in 2012-13 and 2013-14, the acetate version of the Immaculate was um, was. Uh, facing a different direction. The images were facing a different direction than the regular rookie, whereas last year the acetate version or the jersey numbered version or numbers version was basically the exact same card as the number to 99 version, except for it just had the shiny front, the acetate front to it. Everything else was identical, and the, the card just wasn't as well done. The backs of the cards, uh, most of them had shipping and edge wear, and the front of the cards, most of them had scuffs and, and wear, and so there weren't a lot of well. You'll, you'll find that there are very few graded cards from last year out of Immaculate. The only reason I'm telling you that is sometimes Panini executes something not super well, in my opinion, and that isn't always a sign that they're going to to do better. Um, I would think that if they wanted to bring out something really super awesome this year in terms of a new best rookie card that they would want to leave some room for serious improvement and so they would want to release a product like they just did with National Treasures. Um, I would suspect, this is just total guessing on my part, but it makes an awful lot of sense given the timeline that they released Eminence last year super late um, into October if I remember right, maybe even November. I think maybe even November. Given that, given um, given by my estimation the lack of quality in National Treasures this year, I could absolutely see them adding 20 base rookie auto patches where the patch is game used and the rookies are numbered to 10 or maybe they, maybe they change it and they make the rookies numbered to 20. That would be a huge hit, huge, huge hit, and it would make Eminence a whole lot stronger product. And given uh, its reception by most people other than me, um, I think that's what's needed. 
I, I think most people will argue at this point that Eminence wasn't a bad product, but it was not a great product for the price point, and it was severely lacking in the rookie department, which is where people want to spend the big money. And so I said this was going to be a short point on National Treasures, and I lied to you. Um, but I think National Treasures this year is going to be one-upped. That's just my guess. I hope so because the rookies in that product this year just didn't do it for me. I'll still stick probably to the Immaculate Acetates unless unless they're fairly poor. Like the, if, I mean, if they're worse than they were last year, then I probably won't. Um, it'd be a shame if, if there's, if there's no real great rookie stuff to collect this year, um, where there was a ton in prior years, it would really be a shame with this really great rookie class if they didn't really knock it out of the park, but you never know. And time will tell. Uh, the last thing that I want to hit on today's show is, um, I got a couple of really great questions, um, via blowout and I want to hit those real, real fast. The first was from a new user there named Soy Phantasma, and he had several questions. and He, he acknowledged that it's kind of from the begin from a, a co beginning collector's perspective, and that is probably not um, the audience of this show. But I think it's worth looking at and considering. And I don't think there's a problem talking about it here. I think uh, I'd I'd love um, both sort of young young and new people to interact with the show, uh, and. Is a, is a reminder while I'm thinking of it, at the 27 guy on Twitter. Hit me there with any questions that you have or via um, a, a PM on blowout uh, also to the 27 guy. So again, Twitter, at the 27 guy, and uh, blowout, uh, my username is the 27 guy. Feel free to reach out there if you have any questions. So, But his questions were basically, you know, kind of where do I start as a collector? And then more specifically, how do I determine what the rookie is? And you mentioned National Treasures being the rookie, and how is that kind of defined? And I think those are good questions. I don't think it's super clear to know, or to it's super clear why something is always the best rookie. So if you go back to 1986, you had one rookie card. In fact, if you go to 1988, you had one rookie card. And then in 1999... 1989, I should say, the first was the first year that there were multiple rookie cards. Kevin Johnson, for example, has a 1989 Fleer and a 1989 Hoops rookie card. And for whatever reason, uh, the 1989 Fleer always booked for a little bit more. Now, here we are in 2016, and the Kevin Johnson rookie card is totally irrelevant. Um, but that was the first time where there was two different. There were two different rookie cards, and the market determined one to be more worth more than the other. Um, at that point in time, I think it was pretty cut and dried that there were a lot more hoops cards than there were Fleer, and so Fleer was a rarer card. I don't know that the packs were more or less. That was just right before I started collecting. Um, but it, it, it's interesting that that's where it started. You fast forward seven years, and you get to seven or eight years, and you get to Kobe Bryant's rookie card. And the previous three years, the finest rookies had really gone up a lot. I think going into Kobe Bryant's rookie year, the 1993 Chris Webber, 1994 Grant Hill and Jason Kidd, and 1995 uh, Kevin Garnett, and I think at that point still Damon Stoudemire and Jerry Stackhouse were all selling for for quite a bit of money, uh, as much as twenty five to thirty dollars, and so people were anticipating that Topps Finest would be the best rookie card in 1996. 
And then a retail-only product called Topps Chrome came out. And most people ignored it for a little while and thought, well, finest is finest, and that's all that matters. And then at some point, for whatever reason, the masses decided that the Topps Chrome rookie was the one. It's always been my understanding that that had more to do with how Beckett interacted with the hobby back then. Beckett used to have used to be the key indicator of value. And I think even they recognize now that they have almost zero impact on value. Beckett's a good company and it's super important for our hobby, especially from the grading perspective. But the valuation uh, services that used to be provided via the, via the uh, magazine are no longer super valid. And so we're left in this sort of wild west of um, price val valuations on cards because there's not a good way to do it. I, I literally haven't opened a Beckett in probably close to a decade. Um, and I don't really think there's a reason to. Um, it, it, I should say I haven't opened one in terms of, um, of getting a value. I do still, um, I have read the articles and mostly do that online. Um, but... Uh, but I, st I still think that there is value that's actually provided by the magazine, just not as much in terms of value um, to the cards. I suppose there still might be some. That may be a little bit of my bias getting in there, kind of depending on eBay and other um, ways of valuing uh, cards. But, um, but anyway, that's, that's, my, that's my little tangent for you. So anyway, back to the Kobe Bryant situation, though. What happened is I remember when the Kobe Bryant moved from being a $30 card to a $50 card in uh, the, the Topps Chrome. And that took people's attention. And then suddenly it moved from 50 to 80. And then from 80, and it just, it went all the way to, I remember, I think it got to $400 for the base Kobe Bryant card. And it was crazy. It was a totally different time. And people were just insane trying to find these Kobe Bryant Chrome rookies. And I think people were paying eight to $10 a pack for Chrome back then. It was just nuts. So, um, it, it might have, it must have gotten higher than eight or ten. I I watched them sell for eight, eight to ten at a card show, um, in Salt Lake back in, back in the day. There was a guy who had a couple boxes and he sold sold out of them real quick. Anyway, I digress. That's twenty years ago now, and now, you know, you fast forward to today and you have this plethora of products out there. Panini pays a ton of money for the NBA license, and they have to, they have to do all these products. They have to be profitable, right? Companies don't run to lose money, and for them to make money on their very expensive NBA license, they need to have a lot of products, and it leaves us in an interesting situation. Which rookies do I buy, and under what class is the best rookie card? There's all these different classes. There's kind of a lower-end, planar class, you know, that includes hoops and um, complete, and maybe even a couple of these, like, prestige, sort of lower-end, but but have some some other interesting aspects to them. Then there's, like, the chrome, the chrome class, which, chromium class, which includes prism and uh, spectra and select, and uh, I know I'm missing a couple of them, but all of those, I think there's four or five of those now. And then there's the, uh, the rookie autographs, and then there's the rookie autograph patches. And there's all of these different sort of uh, cards. If you go to 2012, that's the first time I feel like Panini really started to confuse us because that was when they had, they had 
immaculate and and um, flawless and national treasures all introduced in the same year so we had three sort of super high-end products to um, to compare and to collect and it became very difficult to understand what we should determine was the best rookie card it was my belief that because flawless only had 20 total rookies and it was the most expensive product and it was a great looking product that that was the best rookie and i think that has um that has stood to be true for um, everyone who has a flawless rookie the problem with that is there's only 10 flawless rookies and that didn't include the likes of clay thompson and Kawhi leonard so then what's the best rookie and not everybody loved the diamonds, and there's only 20 of them to go around. Only 20 of each of the 10 cards. So, again, it became very hard to sort of understand what was the best rookie card. And now it's even, the waters are even more muddied at this point with that high-end stuff. You've got Gala that's numbered to 8. You've still got Flawless to 20. You've got National Treasures, which has the largest patch window autograph. And it's numbered to 99. At least now there's the same number of that as there is of Immaculate. Because in 2012, where there were fewer Immaculate cards, but the National Treasures had the larger patch window, those were two different variables that were kind of, that were opposite to each other. So to, so to determine which had the best rookie, you had to ask yourself, what's more important, rarity or patch size? This is obviously largely a conversation about high-end, but when you look at the, I don't want to say low-end because that's not fair, but the, the, chromium, the chromium brands, how people determine which of those is the best, the only thing that I can say, the only guidance that I would give is that Prism has been the most popular. It's the first that's introduced every year, and it feels to me like that brand carries a slight premium over the others in terms of a plain Jane rookie card. And so people load up on Prism rookies. I don't know that that holds any water as the years go by. I'm not sure if that brand concept of just being a brand name is enough distinction to change that. So, um, so I, that's sort of my understanding of how the best rookie card is determined. I look back to 1996 and I think that maybe the credentials Kobe Bryant or the, um, EX is the nicest looking one. I'm not sure how much rarer the Chrome is than the EX. I'm pretty sure it's, it's rarer by a fair margin, but I don't know if it's rarer by that much. I think a lot of times it has to do with one or two people in the in the hobby move one direction and the masses aren't aren't smart or capable enough smart enough or capable enough to push it back in another direction and so these days i think manipulation market manipulation and uh and those types of things can can actually create real value in the end and that's particularly important in the first year of a hobby so you have to watch which way the masses are going and try to figure out you know if that's if that's real or not um and you have to figure out what uh, what has the best variables, and we've talked about those variables before, but my belief is rarity, um, val uh, product value, um, autograph patch, um, the design, the quality of the cardstock, all that stuff is very important when you're looking at it. So, um, so look at that. And then in terms of uh, the question, where do I start with the hobby? It sounds to me uh, like you're looking at 
mainly rookie cards. But the the best advice that I can give you, and this is the advice that I used to give when I worked um, in, in the card shop that I worked at for about seven years, the best advice I can give you is this. Collect what you like. If you're just doing this for money, you're going to lose a lot of money. Most people don't make money doing this. Um, I just mentioned earlier that I have done pretty well on it. I've been very fortunate in, in doing very well on it. And I think most of us who have made money have been very fortunate at it. Um, there are probably some people out there who are scammers, who are who do things the wrong way, who don't have the right policies that have made money. And if that's what makes you happy, and well, that doesn't make you happy. I don't believe it does. But, um, but um, collect what you like. Figure out what you like and then and then stick to it. For me, I had about three years where all I focused on was the NBA's greatest 50 autographs. Um, and I got to like 44, 45. And then I was buying my house and needed to sell all of my stuff to make a down payment. And I got rid of it. But it was, it was a really cool chase for a long time. Um, and if you can find something like that, that's awesome. My, my chase right now is Eminence. Um, eminence high-end stuff and so um, you know find something like that find a set find a team find something that you really like and then really focus on that the other message that I got was from a blowout member named C Prog who I've talked to a couple times it has uh, had some good questions and he loaded up with a ton of questions here this has already gone longer than I wanted it to but I want to hit these real quick he writes the question, are you ever done? If a set was completed, would you be looking to improve it? PSA 10 to BGS 10. I'm not a huge, like, I think grading has its place, and I appreciate it. I'm not a huge believer in paying crazy amounts more for a 9.5 over a 9, or even a 10 over a 9. I see the appeal when it comes to vintage and, and stuff like that, but... Um, so if you're a vintage collector, I get it. But the newer stuff, eh, it doesn't make a huge difference to me. Um, and updating, uh, upgrading to a higher grade isn't really isn't really that. Um, uh, he asks, uh, as far as me being a Utah Jazz fan, the three real pillar pillars of the franchise are Stockton, Malone, and Maravich. What's your collecting goals in relationship to them, or is it just the current focus? Um, Carl Malone's my favorite player ever. Love Carl Malone. Um, he missed three games due to injury in 18 years. He scored 2,000 points, I believe, or more in, in I believe, 12, in 12 straight seasons. He uh, was just a workhorse, and he came from a place uh, and from a family that was really not great. And I think he's, he's uh, an example of somebody who was able to turn his life from something, from a place from where he came from that was not very good to a place that was awesome. Um, and so uh, he's, he's my favorite. Maravich is, is an important figure in NBA history. And uh, Stockton is the most durable six foot one, 180 pound uh, point guard that you'll ever find. And a guy who for, from a hobby perspective and from a history of the game perspective will always be um, undervalued. People don't realize that that guy said it, set goals in his uh, 11th and 12th years in the NBA and then he basically continued to set a set um set a record sorry I think I said set goal 
he continued to set new records every game past those seasons until he'd been in the league for 19 years. And that's why his assist record won't ever be broken. Uh, it's more unbreakable than any record I can think of except for maybe the rebounds per game and uh, points per game records by Wilt. I think it would be easier to break the 100 points in a game mark now with a three-pointer than it would be to see Stockton's career assist record fall. Um, I, I think he's incredible. And as far as collecting those guys, when I see something that comes along that just is awesome, I'll grab it. But in terms of the fluctuations of their stuff, there's not a lot of that. I did buy a super high-end Malone Eminence card, and I bought a cut Maravich autograph uh, recently. So, yeah, I do collect them a little bit. He writes, how many eBay searches do I have set up? I actually don't have any. Um, well, that's not true. I've got two that I think are like proprietary searches. <laughs> they help me to find uh, items that I think are listed in a way that I can make money on them. Um, how many texts or IMs do I do a week outside of eBay to find the cards that never show up? How do I break into that community? Pure money. We saw it with... Uh, Billy bought his way in with the LeBron RPA, then expanded out. Yeah, Bill's an interesting, uh, an interesting guy. He um, he's got a great reputation in the hobby. Um, I've done several deals with Bill, and uh, I really like Bill. Um, as far as like getting in with a group or whatever, my way in the hobby is probably different than than anybody else's. I just do my best to. Um, I just do my best to collect what I like and make friends along the way and uh, try to make a buck here or there and try to figure out what the next big thing is. Um, I've done pretty well with that, but I've had some mistakes along the way too, and uh, you win some, you lose some. Um, for NTRPAs, just send out Buy It Now offers. Did you track the hits via blowout breaks and go out after them as well? You know, I, I don't know. I just... I kind of got out of NT pretty quick. I, I looked at it and I went, nah, this isn't really what I want. I put out a few feelers and made a few plays after things, but I didn't find the stuff that I wanted for the prices that I wanted. Um, eminence. For better or worse on blowout, you're the champion. PWCC has no eminence. Probstein dabbles in eminence, possibly related to the fee structure as you discussed. How much do you think is it is in Asia? There are several key cards that have not been seen still in uncracked boxes or gone in Asia? Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a great question. I I thought it was as as the product came out and it started to get opened pretty quickly. I I thought the majority of it got open, but there's such a huge number of the of the big hits that haven't been seen yet. I've never seen the Babe Ruth autograph, one of the Kobe Bryant cut autographs, um, several of the Kobe one of ones, several of the Steph one of ones. Several, several of the Wiggins 101s. Um, I think we've seen about half of the championship tag autos. Those are easy to track because there's only 20 of them. I think we've seen about 10. Um, a number of the dual cut autos. I think we've only seen a couple of like three or four of the Wilt autos, and I think there are 10 of those. So, and those aren't the huge hits. The Wilts aren't, but um, but some of those other ones are really huge, and we haven't seen those. I don't really know. I Maybe there's somebody out there sitting on a bunch of cases. From my understanding, it seems like the cases are worth basically the same or maybe just a little bit less than they were at um, at the beginning um, at release. Um, I've had a couple of uh, offers on mine that I have listed that's for a buddy of mine, 
it's his case. It's not mine. And, but I have it listed for him. Um, he, uh, would like to get paid what, what, uh, what he paid for it, but I don't know if he's going to be able to do that after fees. But if you take out the, you know, if you say, what's the net somebody's willing to pay compared to what he paid, it's about the same. So, um, I think, I think that product hasn't really taken off in terms of the un, the unopened wax, but I don't know that there's a ton of cases out there left. I'd be pretty surprised if there's more than 120, 100 and I would, if I had to guess, I'd guess there's probably between 80 and 100 cases left, but that's just speculation. I don't know where they are, and the people who I know who have held cases before aren't holding any this time. So take that to what, what, for what it's worth. The episode has gone way too long. I've been talking way too much. I definitely need to shut up now. Um, as always, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen and for downloading the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to um, give it the five stars or the, the, the good ratings if you feel good about it, if you like listening to it. Um, and yeah, thank you guys so much. If you have any questions, feel free to PM me. And uh, until next time, happy collecting.